Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is the Frey Podcast, brought to you by thefrey.com, a place for women who want more from life. Welcome to today's podcast. This episode is a conversation with Ash Hornsby. Now, I have known Ash just through social media and also having mutual friends for the last couple of years, and I've known a little bit about her story. Over the years, Ash and I have touched base and we've always spoken about recording a podcast episode together And for whatever reason in the past, the timing hasn't aligned. So I'm really, really happy that it finally did. We finally got a chance to sit down. I wish it was in real life, but to sit down and record this podcast, this conversation together. And it was really, really nice. It was really, really great to speak with Ash. She is someone that just lights up a room straight away you can tell she just has this I don't know energy and magnetism about her. Ash is a mum she is also a multi-passionate entrepreneur this woman has a lot on the go and when I say a lot I mean a lot. After we finished recording Ash and I kept talking and she was sharing some of the things that are going on for her in her professional life. And she has so many balls in the air. She's just, she's incredible. She's doing a lot, a lot. She is also the host of Flawed and Fabulous, the podcast. She's the CEO of The Coach Connection. And today in particular, our conversation is centered around an area of life that Ash is really, really passionate about. And as you'll hear, it's for very, very um, personal reasons that she's so passionate about the topic of grief, trauma, and loss awareness. Now, when Ash and I were in conversation before recording and speaking about some of the things that we thought this episode would include, I made the suggestion that rather than her have to retell her story of what happened on a very, very sad and like just, you'll hear, it's just a devastating story. Rather than her have to retell that to me for the podcast, I said to her, let's take the audio from one of her past episodes where she talks you through her her experience. And in that episode, she has the support of her therapist and also the support of her podcast producer. So that is what you're going to hear first. When this episode starts, it's going to be about 20 minutes of audio taken from Ash's own podcast, which is the Flawed and Fabulous podcast. After that, 
our conversation then begins and we talk about grief. We talk about pity. We speak about praise during hard times, coping, support, how to support children through losing a parent. We talk about blending a family. Um, There's a lot. There's a lot in our conversation. And this is definitely one of the longer podcast episodes, but I didn't want to cut anything out. So that's what to expect with this episode. I just wanted to also flag with you and let you know this episode does contain obviously conversations about grief and loss, but Ash does share openly and honestly her experience of losing her partner and it's not it's it's not always an easy listen and it certainly wouldn't be an easy thing for Ash to share. And you'll hear at the start of this audio, her purpose for sharing her experience is to start a dialogue with people so that there's less awkwardness around this really sensitive topic, but it is a sensitive topic. And so please use your own discretion as to whether or not you are in a state to listen to this podcast episode. It might be one that you're not ready for or that you need to skip, and that is totally fine. It's not an episode that is appropriate for little ears. Um, so I just wanted to to put that in there. And if you do need any help and support, please reach out to Lifeline. I will put some resources in the show notes as well. Before we get stuck into listening to Ash's story, I wanted to just take a couple of minutes to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Nutra Organics. And in particular, this episode is brought to you by their newest product, which is a natural post-workout, and it is called Clean Recovery. The flavor is strawberry lime, and it's really, really nice. I'm very fussy when it comes to any supplements. I'm the sort of person that asks for a sample first because I don't want to spend a lot of money on something that tastes gross because I know that I just won't drink it. I won't use it. And so this product, Clean Recovery, tastes really good. The strawberry lime flavor is sweet, but it's also mild um, and it doesn't have a gross aftertaste at all, which I think is important and also rare when it comes to BCAAs. So Clean Recovery is a powder that you add to water. It is plant-based. It's a source of BCAAs, as I mentioned, which stands for branch chain amino acids. So in this case, they are vegan BCAAs. It has electrolytes, calcium, magnesium, potassium, B vitamins, and nitrates to support muscle function, protein synthesis, fat metabolism, energy production, and hydration to support your overall physical and mental performance after every workout. So I have been using this after my workout and I really, really like the flavor. I also have noticed a difference in not feeling as sore after a workout, which is nice as well. So it's designed for that muscle recovery to reduce tiredness and fatigue It increases hydration, it's low in sugar, it's vegan, it's gluten-free, it's sweet, it's easy to drink, um, and it's good for you. Now, you don't need to be a marathon man or woman (laughs) to benefit from a natural post-workout. 
You may like to have a serving of clean recovery just for that 3 p.m. pick me up or as a mid morning drink as well. And it just tastes good and it's good for you. So that is clean recovery from Nutra Organics in strawberry lime. Love it. I love that it has magnesium in it as well. That's one supplement I am obsessed with. Now, if you want to try the clean recovery, please do use the code Kylie15, all in capitals, and you can save across the Nutra range. While you are on the website, also check out their variety of plant proteins too. But that discount code is Kylie15, all in capitals. Okay, so today's episode. Let's get stuck into it. As I mentioned, first, you're going to hear a portion of audio that is from Ash's podcast, and then you'll hear our conversation. I hope you enjoy this episode, and it would mean a lot to both Ash and I if you do take a screenshot, pop it up on your Instagram stories, and you can tag us both. You can tag me at Kylie Camps, and you can tag Ash at with love ash and ash is spelt a s h e i think it's important for me to tell this story is that um obviously um when i had the idea for the podcast part of it was to always be raw honest transparent and i feel like as the episodes have been progressing and i'm sharing more of my life and people are um you know, giving me praise for being strong or, you know, thank you for sharing. I feel like I'm missing a huge chunk of the story and that a lot of people are like, oh, like what happened to him? Or, um, you know, what is this all about? Or, um, you know, why isn't she saying that? Like she's telling us everything else. And I don't really care what people think, but I'm so proud of um, what I've been through and how I still am able to, you know, see positivity in my life um, and how I live my life and how I care for others. So, um I don't think that it would really transcend properly without me sharing like what what I've really been through and not just the the pretty posts on social media because there's obviously a lot more to the story and it's just kind of proof that if you take the steps and you do the work and you be open and honest that you know there is there's always a rainbow at the end of the storm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that other people will get a lot from you sharing this as well. I kind of think of it as, you know, modern day narrative therapy yeah. where you're sharing your story so that other people can learn and process their own grief maybe in a more helpful way. Yeah. And I think that the um, the stigma of um, mental health, mental wellness, as we've discussed, and also people being ashamed to say that they see a therapist, whether it be for personal issues or blending a family or, you know, trauma, grief, loss, um, it's there for a reason. People need it. There's no shame in asking someone for help. And I'm a super proud person and I hate asking people for help. And I've realised um, over time once I've actually started doing it, like the, the more that I'm growing, the more patience I have for other people too because I'm more compassionate to situations where I'm like, well, if I can deal with this, how can you not deal with that? So, um, you know, and definitely channeling more of my emotional side because um, – yeah, it, it, it makes you personal, what makes you real. If you can't show your emotions, well, who are you? Mm. Like, and in my is, opinion. 
But this has been such a significant um, memory, hasn't it? Yeah. For you, you know, it was a significant turning point in your life and has yeah. continued to impact how you live your life and yeah. the person you really are yeah. sitting here today. So I think it's expected that you're feeling a little bit anxious. Yeah, yeah mouth is very dry. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes the more you prolong something, yeah. it can make you feel more and more nervous. Yeah. So And Courtney, I, I have obviously discussed that at length too and with you. I've like been mounting back and forth and like when is the right time? I was always like I don't want to open the podcast with that. Like I think people need to understand like who I am and what I'm about and what I'm trying to do rather than just like, you know, emotionally dumping this like story and then um, not have proven that there is, you know, tools and work to be done to, you know, have a better outcome. And I guess with any memory, it has like a beginning, a middle and an end. Like yeah. that's how it's kind of stored in our brain. So yeah. where would you start, Ash, in terms of the beginning of this story you'd like to share? Yeah. The, like the, the obvious answer is to say that this, this the start is like that day, like what actually happened. Um, and that's where we will like up, but I think I just want to start by also saying that like who I am today took work mm. and I'm acknowledging that and um, and some days I'm still not okay. I'm, I'm not healed. I'm not fixed. It's, it's a work in progress and I think that's life in just general and um, I just, yeah, really want that message to be that it's okay not to be okay but you need to like put your hand up and you need to speak up and say... Um, you know, I need some assistance or I need some me time or I need I need time alone if you're getting too smothered by people trying to help you. Like there's so many different aspects of um, what people do in um, a traumatic or a, a loss um, scenario and there there isn't any right or wrong. Mm. Um, everyone's always trying to help um, but realistically um, you need to respect the person that's kind of at the centre of it and feed off what, what they need and not try and, you know, prolong like yeah. the intensity of the situation because sometimes I'll be having a great day and someone will just say something to me and I'm like okay really like, to bring you down not, I don't think they're doing what they're just like I don't know how you do it mm. if I was you I'd be so sad and I'm like should I be sad like are they judging me for smiling yeah yeah so there's so many like ins and outs of that but yeah like I feel like drum roll <laughs> but um yeah so um by the time like this episode airs, because it is like a week or two in advance because of the part series, yeah. we'll actually be getting really close to Horn's three-year anniversary. Mm -hmm. And that was also um, part of the reason why I thought like the time is now. I know that my um, social media will get like a little bit more um, because the same weekend he passed was our um, wedding anniversary. So um, there'll be a lot where I'll be expressing like how I feel and it's kind of like a really strange couple of days over yeah. that. But okay, so <sighs> nearly um, three years ago now, um, my husband Horn, he passed away and um, he drowned. So usually when I share that with people that kind of is like, oh, a 33-year-old male, like how does he drown? Was, was, it, was it at the beach? And then I'm like, no, it wasn't at the beach, it was at our home. Mm. So the, the very short part of that is that my 33-year-old husband drowned at home with his whole entire family there. So 
It was our wedding anniversary weekend and on the Friday we had gone out for um, dinner, just the two of us, to celebrate and we had a wonderful night. You know, kids were being looked after and um, we had a great time. We were celebrating 10 years being together. So this year actually is our 10-year wedding anniversary but that was just 10 years being together. Um, the following day, I well, actually that night I drank a little bit too much champagne. I was feeling a bit sick in the morning. So Horn, being the gem that he was with the kids, packed them up for the day and took the motorbike riding. So they left before I had even lifted my head off the pillow. And um, they were gone all day. Um, and, you know, they came home in the afternoon. Like Horn had had a few beers I was still hung over so I wasn't drinking so um and he was like oh I'm gonna have some red wine now and so but we all went to bed relatively early Horn had gotten um a little bit too drunk he was annoying me and I was like you know excuse my French like you're a fuckhead like why are you getting drunk at home alone like go sleep in the spare room like you're fucking annoying me like I had said all these like really nasty things to him because I was just like you're an idiot and not things that I actually meant I was just I used to be so much more fiery I just you know something used to piss me off and I'd be like bam straight for the throat like I could you know really take someone down not something I'm proud of but I definitely don't do that now um and so he did sleep in the spare room and I slept in our bed and um in the morning I was still kind of like fuck him idiot and so I've woken up and I have gone for a beach walk and the sunrise so this is um, something that I used to do a lot and um, was just that time for me go clear my head have um, my own space then after my beach walk um, funnily enough I have um, this on my phone too when I was beach walking I also like go on my phone and I had um, this quote that I wanted to post but it didn't actually mean anything to me at the time so I didn't post it but um, I'll, I'll share it because um, it just talks about like um, angel wings and being broken and all that sort of stuff but it didn't really resonate with my life at the time so I didn't post it and because I've screenshot it it has the date the time like everything that I was out and about so I finished my beach walk I'm still kind of like that didn't really work so I was like oh Coles is open now I'll go and do the groceries I've done the groceries come home and started meal prepping and Horn was trying to be like I'm sorry and I'm just like just go away just go away like I was still pushing away I was just being stubborn and I didn't you know want to give him the time of day and so he's like okay so he took the kids out into the swimming pool and they're all swimming and they're out there and it was a really hot day and I had all like the doors closed and the air con on and it got to be you know close to lunchtime I can't remember the exact time and I'm like, kids, you have to come in for lunch. So we were in having lunch with the kids and Horn had stayed outside. Um, the kids, we had like a little um, a rock, like garden, something around the perimeter of the pool. The kids used to piff rocks into the pool and it broke our pool filter all the time. So they were still so little. They were two and four, but they thought it was hilarious to do this. So I had been inside with them and Horn was outside. The last I saw of him, he was jumping in and out of the pool to fetch the rocks out and put them back in the garden. So the, um, the pool filter didn't break. Um, some time had gone past and I was kind of like feeling a little bit guilty about like how mean I'd been and I'm like oh my god he's just staying outside to like keep away from me because I've been so mean to him 
and um, I, I went into the backyard where our swimming pool was and I've like put my head around and I couldn't see anything and I was like, oh, he's not out there. So then I went to the front yard and um, he wasn't there either and then I poked my head around to our little shed that we had thinking he might have been tinkering around in there and he wasn't there. I've gone back inside and I'm like, oh, that's weird and I'm like, oh, his phone's here, his wallet's here, like – you know, I think maybe he's gone for a bike ride or maybe he's like, I don't mm. know, like he just thought, yeah, honestly, he's just trying to stay away from me. And, um, yeah, like another five, ten minutes like passed. I'm like, this is weird. Like where is he? Maybe he's like at the neighbours, like, you know, jumped over the fence and like just chatting with him. And um, I've gone out again to the pool and um, we had these like giant plastic owls that we used to have to stop like birds landing and shitting all over this water fountain that we had and um they used to fall in the pool all the time and they kind of um you know just looked like a a floating object Mm. um and when I've gone outside the the next time I've something has like caught caught my eye and I automatically just because how many times I've seen these owls in the pool I thought it was that and then um it wasn't that it was horn he was in the pool and I've like looked at him for a little bit and I'm like, what's he doing? Like he just was like floating and I'm like, I, like it just didn't register to me like instantly no. that something bad was happening and I've looked at him and uh, maybe like no concept of time if I'm being completely honest, maybe like 10 seconds and then like he, he just hasn't come up and so – um, as pool safety, we had like glass pool fencing and um, I've like, it like uh, the alarms have like started to go off. Like I'm incredibly like distressed at this point that I don't understand what's happening, but I start screaming and I'm like, help, like help me. And like, obviously the kids are inside so they can hear mum screaming. They've like come outside. I'm screaming. I've jumped in the pool fully clothed in all my sportswear that I had on. Um, and you know, Horn, I'm like five foot two, five foot three. He was like five eleven, six foot, um, and definitely doubled my weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wasn't really in like the shallow end of the pool. He was like in the middle of the pool. And um, he was so incredibly heavy, like, and I was just trying my hardest to to get him out and I was still, like, screaming for someone to help and um, all of a sudden, like, my neighbour, my next-door neighbour, he's just appeared and, like, jumped in the pool and um, pulled him out and um, then we, at that point, um, have gotten him onto the deck and I remember looking at him, like, um, straight away and I just, like, started, like, saying, like, over and over again, oh, my God, he's dead, oh, my God, he's dead, oh, my God, he's dead. And my neighbour was like, no, no, he's not, like, don't think like that, don't do that. Um, and we had to um, begin CPR, which, like, I have no idea how to do CPR. But your neighbour did? My, I, I think so. Like, he did more than me. His his wife, they had small children too um, and his wife was there as well and she'd called the ambulance and they were, like, talking us through what to do um, and he was doing the um, the the compressions, the heart part, um, and um, I was doing the mouth-to-mouth part and, like, I had – I literally, like, had no idea what I was doing but I was, like, so – 
frantically trying to do it that I remember that um, I like actually like busted my my lip on his tooth because I was like doing it like so hard and like then I thought like he's bleeding but it was me and um, when they were like doing the like the compression part um, it was making like water come up and it looked like you know in like the movies like when that happens a person comes back to life yeah so like every kind of like 30 seconds it was like a false alarm that like, oh, my God, this time it's work. Like this is just like a really bad like, mm. you know, time and we're going to learn our lesson and we're not going to like say these nasty things to each other and we're just going to be completely fine. Um, and then um, I, d- I don't ever remember hearing any sirens or anything like that but the paramedics kind of just arrived um, and they like pushed us all back and um, – they um, gave him a, like a, a shot of adrenaline and um, that didn't work. And I think they do the, the defib with that. I'm not quite sure, but because he'd been in the pool, he was wet and you can't have the defib machine put on you if you're wet because you will like get electrocuted. So they're all trying madly to um, dry him off so they can like do it and um, – it's such a hot day. Like the day was just so insane. And this, I think by like this point, it maybe is like one o'clock in the day and our deck is like completely drenched in sun. And they're trying to set up these like gazebo things for the paramedics to like not be, you know, in the sun. Cause I think they, I, I have no concept of time, but it was definitely maybe like 20 to minutes to half an hour. And they pulled, um, one of the paramedics pulled me away and they're like, you need to call someone. And I'm like, why? Why do I need to call someone? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. And it's like, you need people to be here with you. And I'm like, well, he's here with me. Like, I don't, like, I don't understand. Like, what's going on? Like, because I thought that, like, they were like, even though I thought from the beginning of him coming out of the water, like, I thought he was like dead then, mm. but I didn't really think he was. Like, I was kind of being like, oh my god, like they're just gonna fix him and like it will be fine. The kids had gone to the next door neighbor's house by this point. They weren't there for all of that. Um, and so I was like, I don't like even know where my phone is. Like, you want me to like go inside and get my phone and like call someone? Like, who am I going to call? Like, I can't call my mum. Like, she's going to be like worried. Like, I don't want to scare anyone. Like, I don't want to like, who do I get to come here? Like, I'm an adult. Like, mm. um, so I ended up calling my best friend. And they were um, on their way to lunch because it was lunchtime and um, she didn't answer. And I was like, oh, she didn't answer. Like, who do I, like, who do I call now? And I'm like, and they're like, you need to call someone. Like, they're being, like, really nice but firm about it. And so um, then um, I called her um, fiancé and um, he answered and that must have been on speakerphone in the car. And they're like, hey, like, how are you? Like, we're just off to rickshaws for lunch and da-da-da-da. And I was just like, Juan's dead. And my best friend's fiancé was actually at our house that morning. He had, like, been there, seen Horn, wow. Like, you know, he was completely fine. Like, there was nothing, like, wrong with him. Um, and so they're like fuck off, you're joking. And I'm like, Horn's dead. Like he he had an accident. Like he's like drowned in the swimming pool. Um, And so obviously they've like cancelled lunch and come straight over. And um, then like the paramedics were just basically like, I'm sorry. Like 
that, and that was it. They just kind of like packed up and left. And the police were there at that stage because like it's not a usual thing for a, th- a young, healthy male yeah. to um, drown in the, the swimming pool at home. So, you know, they had to come in and they like searched the house and like, you know, to make sure there was no like foul play or if there was any reason why this could have happened. And, um, you know, they were they had to question me like Mm. what was going on and I was like I don't want to do this I just want to be like outside with him like he's just sitting there and at this point they um didn't get the like gazebo up properly so he was just literally like lying out there alone on the deck while they were questioning me and um they couldn't move him until they like eliminated that there was no foul play like quickly like um yeah and um, so I just remember I just it was like there in all my clothes, like I'm wet, like I've still got runners on and there I'm just like, I am just kept saying like, I'm so sorry. Like I, I didn't, I'm so sorry. And they're like, you, and like I couldn't remember like what they're asking me and like um, I wasn't crying. I didn't cry at all at the time. Um, and I just basically said like, I need to go back out there and so I laid down on the deck with him and kind of like snuggled into him like we were in like bed position and um, I just remember like how like it felt like we were on holidays like I was just like lying in like a, a hammock together and there was like nice warm sun on us and the clouds were going past and it was just me and him, but, like, he felt so cold. Like, he felt cold, but the sun felt so nice and warm. And then, um, yeah, after um, the police left, they were able to to move him into the shade where then I laid with him again and they were like, you know, you need to go and stay at someone else's house. You can't be here. But the coroner was taking such a long time to come and I was like, I'm not leaving him here. Like, once he's left, like, I can leave, but, like, I'm not going to leave him out there by himself. So it felt really important for you to stay yeah. with him and stay connected there. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, like that was going to be like the last time that like I would ever like see or touch him. And, you know, I knew like I had to have a conversation with him that like I was just sorry. Yeah. And that like the things that I said I didn't mean and that I loved him and that we've had a great life and I'm so grateful for everything that he did for me and our family and yeah I just I just never thought that was like it for us like Mm. that you know he's crazy person motorbikes and all that sort of stuff and you know he you know passed away like three meters away from me like I was there the whole time and didn't matter how busy our schedules were Sunday was always family day we never like socialized really with other people on Sundays because we were always working or we did things Friday and Saturday nights but Sunday was always family day and it just felt so weird that like you know it was Sunday and he was at home with his family and yeah just a really weird scenario but yeah made me feel really fucking shit that you know the last things I said to him were so horrible when I didn't even mean them Mm. I was just being a bitch and I have to, like, stay with that forever. So, yeah, that's why I guess it's really important to me with, like, the angel cards and stuff that he appears and still talks to me so I know that, like, he doesn't hate me mm-hmm. and that he knows that I love him. Because your relationship with him now has really 
changed, hasn't it? There's yeah. still a relationship there. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, whether that's woo-woo or not, like, um, you know, whatever people need to to deal with what's happened to them, what makes them feel better or what makes them feel connected, um, yeah. But that was obviously one of the uh, the worst day of my life and the fact that that happened but then all the the negative words that I said to him too are attached to that is just, yeah, really shit. And what happened following all of that, Ash? What happened that evening? Um, so I didn't stay there that night. Um, I went and stayed at my best friend's house and um, I thought I was – like fine-ish, like I wasn't, but um, she was like, do you want me to sleep with you? And um, I'm like, no, no, like you go sleep, you know, with your fiancé. And like I didn't sleep at all. I just like laid staring at the ceiling and then um, must have been when the sun was coming up, I just went and had a look at the sun and then um, went to the bathroom and I just like sat on the floor and that's when I started crying. Yeah. And she must have heard me, I'm not quite sure, and she came in and I was just like this is real, like this really happened, like this isn't a dream, it's not going away, he's not coming back, it's hard. And then that day um, I did go back home after that. Um, The kids had stayed at my mum's house the night and I went, um, which may seem really odd to some people but just I guess how full I am am with like organising stuff, Um, the first thing I did is I went home and I packed up all of his clothes and I don't know why I did that. Like I have no idea why I did it. And my friend was like, you don't need to do this right now. Like what are you doing? And I'm like, no, I need to do it right now. I need to do it by myself. Like I just want to be alone. And I don't know whether it was even just to be with his things. Like I don't yeah. I don't know why I did it because it's very bizarre. I know people whose partners pass away like in, the, in a year's time their clothes are still there. Yeah. So everyone's different with what's right for them but like I just wanted everything to be you know I'm keeping these like these are for his parents these are for like yeah it was just bizarre that I did that now that I look back but what was that process like for you um to be honest I don't really remember it like I know that I did it and that's maybe I was just working out of like robot like I don't know but that's a real blur I know that I did it I know that I packed it all up and then I don't recall feeling like anything, mm. which is why I'm in therapy. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So that's pretty much like the um, the, the story to like of what actually happened. Um, and then I guess there's a lot more that will. What are you thinking, courts? Just because I don't want to keep talking yeah. if we're going to break it into. I think I want to ask like yeah. Had, Afterwards, yep. what did the autopsy reveal like actually happened? Yeah. And maybe what you said to the kids? Yeah. Yep. So it took so long for the autopsy result to come. Like it w- it took maybe like 14 months. Like it was so long. And obviously things like life insurance and everything were on a complete hold until that. So up until that point, what did you think? How he, how did you think he drowned? We had had like conversations um on the day of Horn's funeral, um, I had opted for um, an open casket because he passed so um, suddenly. I well, not at the actual funeral, a viewing prior to the funeral because he passed so suddenly. Um, I had heard that people, you know, get to say goodbye and it, yeah. Um, so 
for me, when I was laying with Horn that day, he looked like Horn. He looked completely fine. And then I was like, yep, you know, he's going to have makeup on, like he's going to look better. And um, I had really pushed for the funeral to be on the Friday and not for it to go like into a new week. So it was only a small turnaround time. Um, So they didn't put makeup on him. And um, his mum and I went into the viewing first. And um, when we both saw him, like that's her son, like she loves him, like regardless of anything. But when I saw him, I was like, holy fuck. I was like, mm. no one, like he did not look like Horn. He didn't look happy. He didn't look good. Like it was just the worst thing that I probably could have ever had done. But they didn't warn me that he wasn't going to have makeup on. So like he did not look like Horn at all. And um, when his mum, I went in with her and when she'd finished saying goodbye, um, I had kind of just said, no one else is coming in here. Mm. Like it's a firm, like unless it's immediate family, not a friend, not a person that's just come to show their respect, there is no one that's going to see him like that. I'd much prefer them to remember him the way that he was and not like that. So the autopsy, um, sorry, when you asked that question, he had a little like cut on his nose and um you know, I didn't recall seeing it the day before, but I wasn't speaking to him. So I don't know whether that was there. So there had been like, you know, everyone has their true sense of like what happened. Oh, he's bumped his head. Like, you know, there was that little mark, and you know, like, you know, because like my parents came over the day of um, when I finally did call them to say that it's happened. Um, like he's definitely bumped his head. That's what happened. Like he's unconscious. And I'm like, I don't know. Like maybe. Like I, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, so the, probably the, like the shittest part of this whole thing, and it took so long for it to come back, is that his cause of death is drowning. But what his autopsy said is that there's this thing that's called hypoxia, where you have um, elevated oxygen levels when you're diving in and out of water and you can basically just like lose consciousness. But then they also said that there's like a cardiac arrhythmia. It wasn't a heart attack. It was like cardiac arrhythmia mixed with this, mixed with that, like wrong place, wrong time, that if he wasn't in a pool, he wouldn't have passed away. Like it was just like a wrong place, like wrong time thing, which is shit. Like that's probably was like the hardest thing to digest because like at least the bumping of the head like made more sense. Like it wasn't just like you how can you know and wrong place wrong time happens to people all the time. Yeah. But like to accept that as like the reason why you don't have someone is like you know really shitty. And to wait that long, like it felt like they made it up. It didn't even feel like mm. real. It felt like just like doctor mumbo jumbo did you feel like once you had did you anticipate when you received the answer it was going to feel more like closure no and because it took so long I dealt with it a very early on that it whatever it says he's not coming back mm. whatever it says like it's not going to change you know anything so while I had to wait for it um i and because it took took so long that like I had a long enough time to like process that like whatever it says like it yeah. Ash, thank you so much for making time in your day to have this conversation with me. I've been really really looking forward to speaking with you, and I wish we were doing this in person. 
oh, me too, but the world is what it is. And thank you so much for inviting me to be on the podcast. It is truly a privilege and I'm so excited to um, share some stuff with your community today. Well, I appreciate it. And I'm really, really grateful for the audio that you have let me use in this podcast episode. I can only imagine how difficult it is to retell your story at times, but I just wanted to say thank you for telling your story because you will be impacting people and helping people that you don't even know. And I just, I think that's a very, very honorable thing to do. So thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. And um, it hasn't always been easy, but it's definitely become a privilege over time to connect with people that have been either in similar circumstances or just experiencing their own grief, trauma or loss in general and opening up the, um, the airlines for people to communicate with each other about how they're feeling is super important to me. And I can imagine that you've experienced a lot of people withdrawing when it comes to the topic of grief, trauma and loss because, you know, as humans when we're uncomfortable and we don't know what to do, rather than move towards what's making us feel uncomfortable, we move away from it. So as someone who has experienced such devastation, how did people support you well? How did your people move towards you well when you lost Horn? Yeah, it was, we're going back nearly four and a half years ago now and every year since then has been a journey in a different layer. Um, But at that specific time when he first passed, um, given that it was an accident and um, it was kind of here one day, gone the next, it was really traumatic for everybody. Um, and our friendship circle is quite large. Our families are all intertwined. And it was beyond devastating, but the, the shock, like the shock that impacted everyone, sometimes made it really hard for um, me to feel supported, even though everyone was trying. And I have really worked on myself since then. Um, Also accepting help and support was not something I was very accustomed to. So um, I really um, had to communicate with my friendship circle especially to um, give me time and space. And for me, that's what I needed where there are a lot of people that could be completely different and they don't want to be alone and they want someone there with them all the time. And there is no right or wrong. It's a personal preference and having that communication with your support people on what feels right for you. Um, I had a lot to do when Horn passed away and um, I was supported heavily with my two boys who at the time were two and four and that was an enormous weight off my shoulders to have people caring for them and letting me have time alone away from them to grieve and to have a little meltdown and then to pick myself up and keep going. Mm. I was very, I'm going to say stern, but I was very forward with the fact that I didn't want my kids to be exposed at that age to um, manic grief. And for me, manic grief is when people are 
hysterically crying. They're probably saying things that they shouldn't. Maybe they're getting drunk and then um, overreact, not overreacting, but just overly Having emotional. Big reactions. Yeah. Big reactions. It's really scary for a two and a four year old when they're used to, not, well, they're not used to seeing that. They're used to their normal family bubble where mum and dad are there and everything's happy. So the support with the kids was massive for me. Having the business and that I had to secure. Um, that as well because that was our financial stability was probably um, in all honesty at the forefront of my mind even before the kids because without financial security and I'm sure a lot of mums out there can agree scary world out there so I had a lot of pressure to secure our finances and then once I had comfortably done that um, apart from planning a funeral and all the things that come with that, it was then time for me to have the conversation with the boys about what what our new normal is, like what what has happened and having very age-appropriate conversations as well. How do you even do that with a two- and a four-year-old, Ash? Like how, how do you begin that conversation? Yeah, and um, you've heard the audio and you know that they were there on the day um my eldest child has um, a speech delay so at age four he wasn't saying a lot either um and I had no idea what he was actually taking in from that day the youngest was two um he said on that day like daddy's hurt where's daddy um I was really honest with them from the get-go I never said like daddy's at the hospital I never said you know, he's gone on a holiday or anything like that. I told them the truth age appropriately. And when I was explaining what his funeral or celebration of life was, I said it was daddy's goodbye party. And this is where daddy is going to go up to heaven. And we will go on to visit him at the special place, which is the cemetery in which he's buried. And that special place, that word, even over the past five years, has been something that has stayed within our family the whole time. And the boys um, really believe that it is a special place. And it's been super important for me to secure them in the fact that loss is a part of life. Yes, they've lost more, way more than most children will experience in their entire childhood. Um, but they um, they were they received it quite well, and I think that's because I really protected them from being exposed to things that were not appropriate for their age. Mm, you've done an incredible job. Thank you. Do the boys talk to Horn? They don't talk to him, but they talk about him and a lot, especially my youngest who's literally DNA, just he proves that whole thing is true and correct because they are just like split from the same egg. They're identical and the things that he does, says, looks at me, his mannerisms, and he was only two, it's near impossible that he knows He didn't pick them up. They're in him. They're in him. Yeah, they talk... um, we always talk about the stars and um, we always find the brightest star when we say, like, that's daddy. And if we're driving, my car has a sunroof and they will, if it's at night time, they'll be like, let's open it and let's find daddy and things like that. And I've tried to make even that joyful 
that he's a shining star and he's always shining down on us and how kids process grief and there's different stages throughout their childhood on how they processes, process it. But at their age, this is what was appropriate for them. And I did seek professional advice. I didn't kind of just wing it and I didn't even really go to Google. I was like, this wasn't immediately. This would have been like two to three months after when the fuss had kind of calmed down where people stop offering to help and they kind of stop showing up. And I always kind of say, grief lasts a lot longer than sympathy. And mm. that's my biggest thing that I always say to someone when they reach out to me and they say, how do I support my friend? And I'm like, these next two to three weeks will be a complete blur. They won't remember anything, but the flowers will stop, the lasagnas will stop, and then the reality kicks in and they're all alone and that's when you need to be there. And do you think part of that, Ash, with the sympathy stopping and the lasagna stopping and all of that do you think part of that is people think that you've returned to some state of normal and they don't want to rock the boat because I think that for a lot of people that's what stops them bringing it up because they think oh I don't want to um you know open this wound but obviously that wound it's there you've not forgotten about it You know, it's not like even though you're going through the motions of your new normal, you've not forgotten. So true. So true. And the new normal is so evolving in that grief stage. What felt right for the first month doesn't feel right in three months. And I've spoken about it before, the year of firsts. You can be trucking along, doing your best and an anniversary pops up or a birthday pops up or Father's Day pops up and it just takes you five steps back and you have to start the process in some degree again. Um, My friendship group is pretty um, amazing in the fact that we have multiple people that have lost people um, and I make sure every Father's Day, every Mother's Day that if I know one of my friends has lost um their partner or their parent I will always text them and say I'm thinking of you today goes a long way goes a long way and you know sometimes this is you know five or six years later but if you know your friends well enough you and it just people in general you don't ever get over losing a loved one you just know that the world keeps moving and you've got to move with it and forward is better than backwards but sometimes you get knocked back but you have to get back up and keep going again. At the end of the audio that we listened to at the start of this podcast, Mm -hmm. you make mention to not wanting to have a pity party. Mm -hmm. And you and I have spoken just a little bit about pity and how uncomfortable Mm -hmm. it can feel when someone really pities you. What does it feel like for you? And why is it that you just blanket rule don't want someone's pity? Blanket rule is I still live a really amazing life and something really fucking shit happened to me and my family, but we are still blessed in our own capacity and I'm forever grateful for that. But I used to look in the eyes of people around me and I knew that I was their worst nightmare, that they were envisaging themselves as me 
and that scarcity on their face, like how they would just freeze and Mm. imagine what their life would be like and their future. And I hated that. I didn't hate that they were thinking of themselves because that's a natural reaction to do that. I hated that my life was their worst nightmare Mm. and I was so proud of my life. Yes. Yeah, and it's almost making you feel responsible for them living out their worst fears mentally just in their head. Mm -hmm. And then it's like this other layer of something else that you've got to carry of going, oh, no, now I'm responsible for people seeing their devastation mirrored back to them. Yeah, and a lot of the times I'd end up hugging them (laughs) because they would start crying. Yeah, and they would be like, I'm so sorry, I don't know why I'm crying. And I'm like, you're crying because you're envisaging this for yourself and you're not the first person to do it to me and you will not be the last person and I'm here for it. Like that's why, you know, I have my own little mission of creating awareness and normalising it. So if and when it does happen and, you know, death is inevitable, you know, where or when is the part that we don't know, but we all end up the same in the end and how we support and care for people in those processes is what's really important. And what about, Ash, when someone um, compliments you on your strength or, you know, mentions, I don't know how you do it. If I was you, I would be in bed and I'd never get up again, not realizing that that can be quite insensitive when it hits you. Yeah. And look, I would say my skin is pretty thick, but um, if I'm talking about my own personal experiences, the word strong, and I probably have digested this more so over um, the last couple of years, I was so used to hearing that, that I was afraid to share when I felt weak because mm. everyone had given me. It's so like much. people putting a label on you. You're strong. You're good. Mm. That, that cracks fine. You keep moving. Yeah. And that if I was. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. To cry, well, that meant I was weak and I was letting people down. So I didn't want to do that. I wanted to keep my shit together and I wanted everyone to think that I was okay and that I had this. And, you know, even, you know, I'm very proud of how I've handled the past four and a half years, but I've definitely cracked. I've definitely melted. And it's how you recover from the cracks and the meltdowns is what's really important. And it's natural to crack and it's natural to melt down. These are fucking huge, like shocking, devastating changes in your life that if you're not doing it, then I would recommend seeing a professional because you're not digesting something properly and you're probably blocking it out. And that's what I was doing for a really long time. I just was blocking it out. And blocking it out for you, did that come up in the way of over-functioning? So (laughs) over-functioning. It's like my go-to coping mechanism. I'm probably an over-functioning. Soul sister. Yeah. (laughs) 
I'm like probably back in over-functioning mode right now. But um, it's, yeah, I was up at 4 a.m., out the door, going to work, working quite late. Um, I did have uh, nannies helping me and also friends and grandparents. Um, But I just filled my day from sunrise to sunset with everything because it was those moments of stillness where I was like I'm gonna go get a red wine and I'm gonna have a cry (laughs) but during the day I didn't feel like doing that until I possibly and it was really hard because we worked together so me going to work was there's his car He's supposed to be in that workshop working and I walk yeah, in there. Yeah, you're so used to seeing him in your peripheral vision all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was just, the wheels kept moving. The business is still going and how does this huge key player not be here and our world just keeps moving? So I had like digestion issues of like because I'd never suffered um, a significant loss before in my life um, that it was just almost unfathomable to me I'm like how is everything still happening Mm. like the most important person in my life isn't here and I think that's such a common experience even when people yes absolutely when they go through a massive loss but when they go through just a massive life change in general you know when you have a baby and you walk out into the world and you're like I've had this huge thing happen how is everything still as per like how Mm -hmm. are people still just going about their business when something you know on one hand tremendous or on another hand absolutely devastating has happened like how do people just keep on keeping on yeah and the world just keeps moving stops for no one and um my mum recently passed away and that brought up a lot of um well probably gonna say picked open a lot of scars (laughs) things that I thought that I had dealt with um but same funeral home same cemetery, um, you know, just the the only thing was different. My mum had cancer, so um, the process was extremely different and I had not experienced um, any type of palliative care in my life before and my heart just breaks for anybody that has experienced that, is experiencing it mm. or will experience it because it just chips away at your soul. I'm so sorry about your mum and I can only imagine how re-traumatising that is to go through similar motions even though it's a different circumstance. It's just so much and you have been through so much in the last few years. You and I were laughing about it a little bit before we started recording because you also had a fire. Yes, yes. Massive fire on Boxing Day of 2019 that completely destroyed our business. Uh, well, it didn't destroy our business. It destroyed our factory. The business is still going. We've been working out of a temporary site for the past two years or just under two years. And, you know, the future's looking bright. We're about to move into our brand new factory and um, start that rebuild process of our business. And, um, yeah, it's, a lot has gone on in the past four and a half years. So the word that I do prefer to use probably other than strong because I've really just, that word just doesn't really mean anything to me anymore. Mm-hmm. Resilience is just something that 
you know, Teflon peat. Like I'm like, nothing will stick. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to keep on living and I'm going to keep loving my life and, um, you know, just work through it. Everything is figure outable. I can work through this, whether it takes a week, a month, a year, two years, I will get there. It's really, really admirable. And I think resilience is an incredible word because it's not like strong in the sense of, you know, with that label strong, you do kind of put this pressure on yourself to be that powerhouse. Whereas Mm -hmm. with resilience, it is often two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, but you keep taking those steps forward. That's the important part. Yeah. I love that analogy. And that's really it. Like bad shit is going to happen. And that's, you know, I don't want to be the negative Nancy in the room, but you know, um, even with your own life, you would have experienced things that 10 years ago you didn't think were going to happen and they've happened. And you're like, well, I've got two options. I can do nothing or I can give it a crack. And I would rather know that I tried than I didn't. Mm, Absolutely. Just on a practical Mm -hmm. level, what is something helpful that someone can say to you? when you're in the thick of a really hard time, because I know that people listening will want to know this so that when people in their life go through a big loss, what are the actual words that you think someone can speak that are going to be helpful? I honestly believe, and it's really so simple, um, the people that are trying to support someone can fluster themselves so much with unnecessary worry when they could just ask one statement of how can I support you? And I guarantee 99.9% of the time, the person who is grieving or in the state of trauma will respond with something and don't overpromise and underdeliver. Don't say, would you like me to cook dinner for you? Depending on that person's personality, They might never in their normal capacity ever allow anyone to cook them dinner because they would feel like a burden. That person, apart from me, I don't eat other people's food, but that person may be just like, yes, please cook me dinner or cook my children dinner or just don't don't kind of ask, do. Like how can I support you? And if they are like, oh, I don't know, like would you like me to do your washing? You can see that the washing basket's full when you go over that person's going to love you to go over and just open it up and do the washing. Yeah. Without having to to beg or ask. And there's a lot of, I feel like grief, trauma and loss has become quite a cool topic. And then I think sometimes the messaging can be misdirected. I definitely think it's a conversation that needs to be had. But if you're talking about it and you've experienced it and all you're doing is dissing out what people didn't do for you the people that are listening they want to know they don't want to make you feel worse they're trying to help you so Mm. we all are in a position the people that are speaking our journeys and our stories to actually add value not only from your own experience about how you felt and what happened to you and how I'm succeeding at life but how do we educate other people on to support everyone in a grief trauma or loss community and open up the conversation of helpful tips not what oh and this person said this to me like it doesn't bother me if someone has said to me 
I listened to your podcast and I hugged my husband so hard that night and gave him a big kiss. That is fucking amazing. If you love that man or you love your wife or your partner and you listened to that and you thought, I don't do that enough, go and do it. I'm not triggered that my husband's not here. Maybe three years ago, Mm -hmm. not now because I've dealt with my stages, I would rather have the impact of people knowing that when my husband passed away, as you heard, I said some really nasty shit to him and I can never take that back. And how did you work through that, Ash? How did you, I mean, I know you spoke to Horn on that day and you told him how much you loved him, which he knew, you know, there's no way he did not know that. Mm -hmm. Um, But how, I guess, in the days, weeks, months, and even years following, how did you kind of process that that was the way that your last time with him was spent, if that makes sense? I'm just, yeah, I'm just wondering what work you did to, to understand that a little bit. I did a lot of work and I've had a family therapist pretty much for the past three and a half years. Um... I think, sorry, I think the reason I'm interested in knowing that is because self-compassion is so hard. Mm, It's the hardest thing. And if the roles were reversed, you would look at me and you would say, oh, Kylie, like, Mm. you know, don't beat yourself up over that. But when it's yourself, offering that compassion is so hard. Absolutely. And I really had to think about the answer to that question because I had to think, when did I actually forgive myself? Like how long was it? And in all honesty, I don't think I'll ever get over the fact that I don't get to relive that day and I don't get to have another opportunity. But the way that I have forgiven myself to some degree is that I changed as a person and I have a new partner now and I will never um, like I still say mean shit, don't get me wrong, but like of course, I, yeah, it's like, a man. <laughs> but when I like, I don't let it go on. So yeah. I sometimes will be like, I can't talk to you about this right now. I just need a moment. And then I get my like shit together and I come back to the conversation and said, I really want to talk about this and I want to resolve it to the best of our ability right now. And I don't want to leave it on terms where I've said something that I will regret because very rarely do people live from this experience where you just spend 10 amazing years with someone and then the last 24 hours, well, two days before Horn passed away, it was our 10-year anniversary. And then two days later, he had passed away and we had a little bickering argument on the Saturday as couples that have been together for shorter, long or periods of time Especially too. with young children. Yes. And, you know, if I had have known that that was going to be the last thing I ever said to him, as if that would be it, mm. like as if that would be it. So it's... It's been, that was probably one of the most difficult things for me to process. But as I said, allowing myself to grow from one of the worst experiences of my life and really transforming myself into someone that is no longer like a hothead or has a spiteful tongue that I really think about if this was the last time, like if they were to walk out of this room right at this moment, am I okay with where the conversation is? And if I'm not, I just take a few deep breaths. And even if I don't fully mean it, I'll be like, I love you and let's just have some time and we'll come back to this when we're calm. Mm. 
it sounds like you've really been able to develop that skill of zooming out and acknowledging if you had the foresight, of course you were you wouldn't have spoken those words or acted in that way. And I think that that is a big part of self-compassion. It's acknowledging that that was like a little fragment. That was like a tiny little moment, you know, a drop in the ocean of the relationship that you had. And there's no way that you had the knowledge that that was going to be your last interaction. And I think that that is part of self-compassion, being able to zoom out and lean into that logical brain. Yeah. And in all honesty, I probably um, like actually like erased it from my brain. Um, I definitely erased the main text messages from my phone. So when I would go back and read them, it was just all of our usual like backwards and forwards messages about work or the kids or had a, you know, he had written me a message saying I had the best night with you for our anniversary. And so I just was like, mm, those bitchy messages, I'm just going to delete those and pretend that they didn't happen. And I think that's fair. That's <laughs> yeah. fu- And I'm sure Monique would agree, taking <laughs> yeah. back a little bit of control of your narrative, yeah. you know, and I think that that's a really positive thing to do. Yeah. In terms of the last couple of years, what have been some pillars for you in being able to keep moving forward? The pillars, I've honestly felt like every time I started to get some traction, something bad happened again, um, which we were discussing a little bit earlier too. So if you stage out kind of everything. Just keep getting knocked down. Yeah. So um, Horn passed away four and a half years ago, started to rebuild from that. The factory burnt down, still in the process of rebuilding for that, getting to the finish line, and then my mum passing away. Um, nearly four weeks ago um, I'm not de- I can honestly say at this point I'm in block out mode for that um, and my brother and I both agree that we're probably also still in a little bit of re- relief stage um, what we went through for the past six weeks was horrendous and um, I'm just relieved that she does not have to live like that any longer and it's my birthday in a a couple of weeks and I'm sure it will hit home for me then that I'm not going to get my full name's Ashley no one calls me Ashley except for my mum and uh, I'm not going to get that birthday card with her handwriting on it that says Ashley Marie on the front those milestones that are hard to ignore yeah and even though I'm Turning 36, I still loved my Want little card. card from my mum every year. So it's um, life's just a journey. And of course. Yeah, it has so many highs and it has lows and I just choose to focus on the highs. Um, you can you experience and feel the lows but I'm still like naturally just so drawn to living on a high and loving life and everything that's around us when I was listening to your podcast which is a great podcast I'm going to put the link in the show notes and I'm sure that all of our listeners will jump over and hit subscribe because honestly over the weekend I didn't have the kids and I was just binge listening while I was cleaning (laughs) it's it's such a great podcast um it's called flawed and fabulous isn't it yes yes yeah Thank you for that shout out. Oh, no, genuinely, I I, I loved it. But one of the reoccurring themes that I kept hearing, because I listened to so many episodes, (laughs) I was able to pick up some themes, um, 
And I kind of thought to myself, it seems like some of the pillars of you moving forward are your habits and your routine and mm-hmm. controlling certain things. Yes. And I guess that stood out to me, Ash, because I definitely lean into controlling my environment when I'm feeling personally out of control. So when you were speaking about your habit of getting up and going for a sunrise walk and your time for yourself and just a couple of other little bits and pieces of, you know, control in terms of having routine and rhythm with your kids, obviously that's speaking my language. Mm -hmm. And so I wondered how important those things are for you, like controlling the variables that you can control. Massively. Like, and I see the repeat of my pattern now that mum's passed, that that is my go-to coping mechanism for grief or when anything's spiraling in my life um, or seems hard, I need to really knuckle down on the structure and the routine. I will do the walk. I will meal prep. I will have all the things in place. So I am just like in robot mode. And if I can push through in robot mood for like three or four weeks until like I need to have a break, that's really a success for me that, you know, I've done what I needed to do. And my my partner, he sings like a little song to me. He's like, you're a control freak. <laughs> that's why I said soul sister at the start. I'm like, takes one to no one. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm trying not to, but it's just so much better my way. <laughs> and now he's like I can't even pick what shirt I'm gonna wear now because I'm worried about what you're gonna think and I'm like I'm sorry um but everyone in my environment kind of relies on me for that too I'm like notorious for it I think that's why they love me I'm like the go-to girl for like a routine um boost to be like yep life back on track my friends know they can see me every morning out there walking and yeah, I'm pretty predictable. I love a routine. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think, you know, we all have our coping mechanisms and routine and structure and controlling what you can control makes perfect sense. Yeah. You know, and I don't think that it's realistic to dissolve our coping mechanisms because they're there for a reason. They help us to function and to get through. Um, So I completely, completely relate to that. Now, you've mentioned your partner a couple of times now. And I I wish he was there so that he could sing this song to us. Um, (laughs) I'm sure he would too. (laughs) Shame for us. Um, But you have found love and you're with a great guy called Eden who has a little boy as well. Mm -hmm. What's it been like repartnering or blending a family with your dynamic and the reason I say with your dynamic is because I imagine and please tell me if I'm wrong I often am but I imagine with your with your dynamic it's not the same as a divorce you haven't actively chosen to end a relationship so there's still love and affection and fondness and I imagine a longing for someone mm. that's no longer there, how do you hold both? Yeah, so I will openly say that I'm in love with two people, but it doesn't count as like cheating because the other person's not here. So, um, but to just add a little bit more mix to the story, Eden's wife passed away from cancer. So when you gave the dynamic of you know people get divorced, 
Eden and I have no support on either, well, we have support from other family members, but we didn't get divorced. Both of our partners have passed away. In the very early stages of our relationship, um, we were pretty much just bunkered together from the get-go because we didn't have any weekends off or we didn't have, you know. There's no tagging out from children. There was no tagging out. And Eden and I, I'm not sure if you've seen the show Afterlife, but we have a pretty um, dark humour when it comes to kind of (laughs) grief. Is that the Ricky Gervais? Yes. I haven't seen Uh, it, but I I know the premise of it just through seat. Yeah. So very dark humour and I would probably say that um, while I'm very um, heartfelt with my messaging, I definitely have a wicked sense of humour. And I used to say to Ian, I'm like, we've really got like the shit end of the stick. Like we we don't have anyone to palm the kids off to. Like why couldn't we just get divorced? Why do they have to die? So but, inconvenient. Yes, yeah, so inconvenient. But obviously we wouldn't be together in that um, if our partners were still alive. So planning a family for anyone that's doing it, fucking tough. Like my, my therapist, Ash, and I don't think therapists are meant to give super specific advice, <laughs> <laughs> but literally a couple of weeks ago my therapist looked me dead in the eye and said, don't date anyone with kids. Yeah. Like she said, if you have the choice, don't do it. And then she was talking about blending a family and it's been on my mind ever since. Like, what would that look like? And as you said, for you, for you and Eden, it's instant merging because you don't have any other choice. Yeah. And my um, Horns family live kind of Sunshine Coast area. My dad lives down south. My mum was the only parent I had close to me and she was diagnosed with her cancer two months after Horn passed away. So Eden has a very supportive family. Um, I have very supportive friends, amazing friends that have just, they're like, my kids have like 20 aunties, like they're the best. And, but I was, I felt like I was like in a sinking hole. I was like, this is so hard. Like, we, we're not ready for necessarily this perfect family, blended family. I'm doing air quotes. No one can see me. <laughs> but, <laughs> I see you, babe. I see you. Um, and I was like thinking we were going to be like just perfect. And we still, the main issue in our relationship now, even nearly three and a half years on, is the blending of our family and how two children are mine and one child is Eden's but we do and we don't think like that and anyone that's in that environment like can appreciate that you are never going to love anyone's children more than your own. It's also a whole other layer because as you said the other parent is not there so with blending a family when another parent is still there and available and involved in the children's life it makes it, I think, clearer to have that delineation of, you know, Eden is not your dad. Eden is your friend. Your dad is still your dad. But when they're with you 24-7, I imagine it kind of does make that line a little blurrier. Mm -hmm, Definitely. I've probably taken a really like firm stance on this. And it's actually funny, we didn't discuss talking about the labels of parents, but I am so um, feel very strongly and very firmly about this. It is not my decision to encourage my children to call Eden dad or vice versa. Essentially, Eden has been in Carter's life longer than his own father. 
Mm, of course, because he was two. He was two and he's seven now. So if and when, or just if, Carter reaches an age where he has, or writer, has an understanding of what this means and it is his choice to do so, that is completely on him. Yeah. Few years back, when the kids are quite younger and they have Father's Day at school and things like that, it gets a bit confusing and it brings up the emotions. Um, they would say it in a um, like, "Oh, night, Dad!" Like as like a little joke. And I never corrected them. I Just never trying said, it on for Just, size. Yeah, in their own yeah, way. yeah. And you know, as kids do, like you know, sometimes I mean, like, good night, butthead. Like you don't know. Yeah, what they're totally. Gonna, you don't know what they're going to say. So I was kind of like, uh, do I say something? Obviously, went through therapy with Monique about how I feel about this, and um, I do know other people that have had partners pass away, and their children call their new partners mum or dad, and it is each to their own but I don't see how you could encourage that because I very much, I talk about Horn every day, even four and a half years on, I, his name is in our home every day. I don't have any photos. I'm not a big photo person. I have, all the kids have photos on their iPads and little books made and things like that, but I heard um, you say that in a podcast and that's, again, I was like, soul sister, yeah. I have no photos. Like yeah. you could come into my house and be like, who lives here? There is there is not a single printed canvas. You have like the display photo from Kmart still in there and you're like, who is that girl? <laughs> hard relate, yeah. hard relate. But, um, yeah, it's um, it just isn't a thing for me because like, I feel like dad is essentially a nickname like and then it has all these other layers to it and it's their choice. I would also in compassion for Eden who definitely is the father figure in their life and does an amazing job looking after them. If they got to like 13 and then started being like, you're not my dad and then they took those words back it was because they weren't mature enough to make that decision in the first place. Yeah, makes sense. So if they get to 13 or 14 and be like, I, and this is the only thing I probably get upset about when you start piecing that they have a longing for something that's gone too. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know what it's like to grow up and not ever call someone dad. Yeah. You know, and that's what I think about for them. If they feel like something is missing from their life, from not being able to use to say those words to say those words not the father figure but if it's like you know we can be in the park and the kids like Aiden like you know (laughs) when all the other kids are yelling out dad most of the time you know so it's just really important for me that they're old enough to make that choice for themselves and to protect Eden I don't want it forced on them for then one day to possibly be taken away from him when he's done such an incredible job too and how would you feel about being called mum by Eden's son? Um, I have to be honest and say I I don't personally want it because of how I feel so strongly about the boys not I'm I'm essentially not his mum. He has a mum and I again if it's something that he really, really wanted 
and he probably brought it up um, a lot, maybe like 18 months ago. So of an age of understanding, he's also Mm -hmm. seven. Um, And we went to therapy about this too. And I just said, I just, I just don't agree at this age. I just have something in me that I have so much loyalty and respect for both Horn and Jess that I don't want those titles to be taken away from them. Well, like Mm. essentially away from them until it's, yeah, I don't know, it's really hard. Oh, Um, there must be so many layers, Ash. Yeah, and I'm just a fiercely loyal person in general. So if I feel like some wrongdoing is being done or if it doesn't sit right with me, it just never like evolves to anything. It has to feel good, has to feel right, and I don't think we're there yet. What is working well when it comes to blending a family? I know that you love your therapist and you've mm-hmm. had family therapy. Would you recommend that for people who are blending a family, particularly if their children are young? You know, I mean, you're, yeah. the three boys are all so close. In it. I mean, two of them are the same age, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 So it's like we have the three amigos and Ryder who has um, the language delay is only two years old. So he's essentially seven as well. <laughs> like mental capacity so we have like triplets and it's very hard to navigate that there's not and you would know twin mama um (laughs) but while they're all their personalities are very different their capabilities are the same so no one's picking up the towels no one's not pissing on the seat like it's just like constant like I'm like why am I surrounded by so many dicks I'm like (laughs) (laughs) but like legit I don't mean their personalities like just dirty penises everywhere and Mm -hmm. (laughs) like so um what works well for us is Eden and I are chalk and cheese our personalities are so different that like if he was like me we wouldn't work because he makes me um like calm my farm with like the routine, the structure, the cleanliness, like hygiene is super important to me as well. And Super not, not important to him? <laughs> yeah, no, Eden, yes, but like not, <laughs> not like if he's like the downstairs bathroom's dirty and we don't use it, he doesn't care where I'm like, how do they live like this? So um, I feel like I'm not giving that answer like the right because I don't, you know, when you're just so in your own family environment it's hard to zoom out and pick the pick the pros like what are we doing well because sometimes it feels so fucking hard I'm like are we just like are well, we just like treading water <laughs> yeah this is the thing right it's so hard self-compassion and self-acknowledgement of the things that you are doing well but what I'm hearing from you is the thing that works for you the glue is that you guys are kind of each other's equilibrium. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the routine and the structure and you're so good at doing the organizing and keeping the ship going. And then Eden obviously is kind of a little more loosey-goosey and more focused on bringing yeah. things. I'm, I'm doing like hand yeah. gestures, like lowering <laughs> down. down. That's the one. <laughs> Calm down. I'm like, no one can see me flapping around here. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? And I think I can – I'm – observing that context because I listened to your podcast with Eden and his top value is being a good dad right yeah that, that's yeah, his correct. thing wow you really listened to a lot of episodes <laughs> Ash I binge listened girlfriend <laughs> wow <laughs> I'm very impressed um 
yeah, such and, a studious podcast. Yes, yeah. yes, very, very much so. Um, and Eden has the ability to just like, sw- I guess the fact that we have three boys is somewhat of a blessing. Um, sometimes I'm like, why do we have three boys? But now, you know, they go and have time and I'm being completely transparent. I need time away from our family unit. I in live an insanely busy um, career life and our home life is really full on that Eden will take the boys motorbike riding um, for a couple of days or go to the AFL for the night. And sometimes I go, most of the time I don't, if I'm being completely transparent, um, because I need a break. As I said before, I like being alone. I recharge my batteries. That's, that's how I do it. I need that silence or the doors open with the candle and the music and you know, as much as solitude. I solitude. Yeah, solitude and just recharge and get my thoughts together and figure out what is bothering me or what is making me happy and what do I need more of? What do I need less of? And really checking in on that self awareness of how, you know, I said it earlier, I would never get over what happened to me. I just learning to live with it. Mm. And if I don't check in and do that, my life can go be to a place where I don't want it to be. Yeah. So having some solitude and also therapy, those are two kind of... um, honesty. Eden and I have had some super ugly conversations because we promised to be honest with each other. It's Mm -hmm. all in the delivery. Honesty can be um, confronting if it's... or pick an argument if you're not delivering it properly. But if you're asking that person, hey, do you have time for a chat? I've got a few things that are bothering me and I'd really want to nut it out. The kids aren't here. It's a good time for us to talk about it instead of going in and saying, I can't believe you fucking did that. And they're like, whoa, like what are you even talking about? I didn't know there was a problem because you've held it in for so long that you're just the volcano that erupts as opposed Mm -hmm. to just being like, do you have a minute? I'd really love to chat. And then they're like, oh, yeah, I need to like open up this space for a conversation and it could go anywhere, but at least I knew that we were going to talk about it and I haven't been blindsided about X, Y, Z. And the power of the I statement, like mm. I'm feeling yes. I want to da, 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 rather than that you, 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 yeah. so important. And <laughs> clear communication, like you learn this. I feel yeah. like, you know, even for myself, Kylie now at 34, I'm such a like worlds apart from the communicator I was at 24 mm-hmm. at 24 rather than speaking honestly and openly I would just bottle things up and then it would be resentment city and once resentment gets into a relationship it's disastrous so that clear communication and being honest yes it's uncomfortable in that moment but you've got to choose your discomfort right Totally. And it's not nice that someone's not the biological parent of that child and hearing constructive feedback about your own child, like, especially when you've got the naughty one on your side. And I shouldn't even say naughty. I'm so, I'm like, I can't help it because the wild one, I'll call him the wild one, the fiery one. It's a safe space. Yeah. I'm like, he's like, did the air quotes, but no one can see it. But he, you know, all their personalities, as I said, are so different. And the two that are the same age, they're, personalities could not be further apart one Eden's son is soft and gentle and his go-to like coping mechanism when something's wrong is to cry right my son my son would probably kick the wall and swear 
(laughs) Slightly different coping skills. Slightly different, but I'm like, well, there's not a right or wrong when you're that age. Mm. It's how we need to involve ourselves to help them. Like I used to not be able to ask Eden's son why he didn't eat his lunch without him crying. And I'm like, dude, you're not in trouble, but are you hungry? Like why didn't you eat? Like you Mm. ate all the snacks. Why didn't you eat the sandwich? They can't eat the snacks before the sandwich. Like just little things like that where like my kids are like, I didn't like it. Yeah, so it's you've kind of got to temper the way that you're parenting and it's really hard to do that even when the, the children are biologically yours. Yeah. Like it's hard to flip, you know, flick the switch and be like this mode for that child, this mode for the other child and then enter in another child that's not biologically yours trying to know their coding. Like that, that must be so difficult. Yeah, and when like I'm not sure if you asked me this or if it was a question that we're possibly going to talk about um, and how do I not think about the what ifs mm. and you always will. They're like I don't dwell on them. I don't dwell on them. I just there is no way and if anyone says that they don't, they're not telling the truth because you had children with someone, you built a life with them, you had a plan and that plan turned to shit. There, yeah. there is just no way with unfinished business especially that you don't think about, oh, the, well, what, what holidays ifs. would we be going on or what would our house look like and what would they look like and what would our relationship be like and all those sort of things. That is, for me, completely normal. I feel mm-hmm. like we do it in our day-to-day life about, what if we had more money? What if we had this? But like when it's actually this person and, you know, I'm super goal orientated with life in general, but my husband was next level goal orientated, like crazy, like wouldn't even finish the first goal and he's onto the next one. Like he's just was a machine with that sort of stuff. And he taught me a lot and I'm always so grateful for that. But Eden is goal orientated but he is also cruisy like he still has his own business and he's doing all those things but he's also content with life where so it's finding that juggle he's not chasing the goals as aggressively would you say yeah and so I was like to Eden sometimes I'm like I don't know what my life would be like you know it's been nearly five years since Vaughn passed away we had bought a waterfront home that we were about to build a massive house on and I had to sell it. I had to kiss dreams goodbye as well, like future dreams and him all in an instant. And there's no preparation. There's no processing for that. You just, it's just gone. I think that's a common thread that a lot of people talk about when they mention grief. Not only are you grieving for what you've lost, but you're grieving for a future that you thought you had. Yeah, absolutely. And And your brain will never not let you think about that. Yeah. And so those what ifs, and that is something that I'd mentioned to you that I wanted to touch on. It's, I guess for me, like the question was about ruminating on those what ifs, but it seems like you accept that you have those thoughts and you acknowledge that you have those thoughts about all sorts of areas in life. You have them and you move forward. But if anyone's listening and they are obsessing and really, really ruminating and stuck in going over and over the what ifs, that's probably a time to reach out for some professional help in in being able to move forward yeah and I'm 
I'm not a therapist and I can only go by my own personal experiences. And as I said, everyone grieves differently. There's no time limit on grief. Um, But if you are living in the past and in what ifs, you are not being kind to yourself and you're holding yourself back from acknowledging the future and the potential to be happy again. There's no way that you would be able to be your new version of happy, which I'm always very clear on, um, especially with the circumstances that played out with Horn's passing. I realised very early on that I would never be the same person again from that that day. Um, And it wasn't just his loss. It was the way that he passed and my involvement that I, there's just, there's just no way that I was ever going to be the same. And No, you can't go through something like that and remain unchanged. Yeah. It would be impossible. I think even people that just listen to the audio are mm-hmm. going to feel changed from hearing your story to a certain degree. So I can't imagine what it's like to live with that. And that's something I wanted to touch on. And I know that we've been talking for a while, but I did want to just touch on how do you live with triggers around you like how do you spend time near a swimming pool? Yeah, tricky, tricky, tricky. Um, I can honestly say that I think I've been in a swimming pool and we live in Queensland. It's hot most of the time. Um, I think I've been in a swimming pool maybe 10 times since Horn has passed away um don't take my kids to swimming lessons uh they can swim so sorry that that didn't sound like a safety um they do swimming at school um when horn first passed away they were actively doing swimming lessons and my mum took them I never like so they did do their swimming lessons I did not go um it's actually quite funny again the dark humor coming out of me like how many um times people put their foot in their mouth and then they realize that they've done it and like the sheer and it makes it worse <laughs> on their face that they're like oh my god I just said that and I didn't mean it like that because you know there's like a lot of you know I'm like drowning in work or like yeah. so, so and then someone will just look at me and they'll be like I didn't mean it and I'm like I do I do not care but clearly every time I hear that word like yeah. again does I look I'm not a meditation guru or anything like that but I'm talking about your normal average person that there's no way that if you hear the word cancer that you don't think of your mum that's passed away or if someone says of course it's association yeah and people like to think that they're going to get to this finish line where they're completely healed like and that nothing phases them I'm like I can openly talk about these these things that have transpired in a healthy environment just because I may cry about it or I may show some emotion doesn't mean I haven't done healing work on it. If I didn't get emotional speaking about my husband who had passed away, I would be putting on a show to make everyone else comfortable. And Mm. that is why I did start the podcast because as I said earlier, like grief, trauma and loss seems to be everywhere now. And I don't know if that's the power of social media or that people are experiencing it more often and they want to be supported and there's communities being built by it, which is freaking fantastic. But four and a half years ago, I felt so isolated that at 31, I was a widow. 
Mm. Like I wasn't 70. Yeah. I think what I'm hearing is that you are understanding you're probably never going to eradicate that association. And I think that that's important because the pressure to eradicate that association would be incredibly heavy. That's a lot to put on yourself. And just back to what we were speaking about in terms of coping mechanisms, like the over-functioning, is it the best? No. But is it a coping mechanism that serves you at times? Absolutely. You can't dissolve all of your coping mechanisms and you cannot eradicate every single association. But it's, I guess, the resilience in each and every time you have that exposure you are building up a bit of resi- a bit more yeah. resilience towards coping with it. Yeah, and you've got your toolkit, you've got your yeah. survival toolkit. And what works for me is not going to work. Well, we're soul sisters now with our routine and structure, so let's talk yeah. about someone else. <laughs> that, others that are listening to this doesn't mean that you've got to get up every morning and go for a beach walk. That might not be what's important to you. It might be a cup of coffee on your balcony with a notebook for five minutes every day. It's about figuring out how you process it. It's not cookie cutter for everyone. You can't, there's no there's no survival guide that will speak to every single person. Yeah, there's no step-by-step step that has to be done. No, and you know what? Just like men, you've got to kiss a few toads and find the right one. So, you know. Try, but, try on a few techniques. Yeah, try on a few techniques. And like, you know, some people being in a routine would completely freak them out that that's like another stress that they have to keep, you know, the wheels moving and do this at this time and da da da, da. Where me, I'm like, I know where I am every minute of the day. I feel fabulous. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, and it's just don't compare your grief. People used to say, oh, I can't, I couldn't possibly, you know, talk to you about that because of what you've been through. And I'm like, what you are going through is right now the worst thing that you have ever been through and I'm here for it. I don't want your grief to be more than my grief. That doesn't make me feel good. Yeah. It's not the grief Olympics. Yeah. I want you to feel comfortable as a friend, as a colleague, to talk to me like you would anyone and not worry that you're going to think that I'm dismissive or that I'm going to dismiss your grief because my husband passed away. Because I, yeah. a, 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 a genuine person that cares for the well-being of others doesn't, what you just said, the Grief Olympics, the tit for tat, I'm never going to try and up one person that my grief is worse than theirs because in that moment for that person, that is the worst thing that's ever happened to them. And that's yeah, there's important. no winner. There's no winner and it should all be recognised. One last thing that mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, I know that you mentioned you speak about Horn every day, mm-hmm. which I think is brilliant and I think that's so good and so healthy for the kids. Do you have practices that you lean into to stay connected to Horn? I I know that you use angel cards. Mm-hmm. Do you speak to him? When do you feel him around you or do you still feel him around you? Yeah, and um, you bringing that up and I'm not sure to what extent of the audio is going to be used, but when Horn passed away, I laid with him and um, it was a really sunny day. And the feeling of the warmth from the sunlight is what I feel when I go for a beach walk, when it's that coldness in the morning and the sun comes up and it touches your skin for the first time. I don't know if 
psychologically that's what I've connected that feeling for but it's very important to me um some you know I don't sometimes don't go every day but when I feel that I'm losing that connection or I feel like I need some support from him which I know that probably sounds like a crazy person yeah like I, I really believe that he's with me every single day um and I have a huge belief in the afterlife and the signs from your loved ones and it horn had a a specific number which was 313 that um everyone knows is um he's infamous for and the amount of times that that number in very very random very random situations has popped up for me but not only our friends is crazy and um I take a lot of comfort in the fact that it's sometimes physically impossible for that to be a coincidence and that he's here and I don't I don't talk to him I maybe like mental telepathy have a chat but I don't physically speak out loud sometimes if I go to the special place and I'm like a bit frazzled I'll be like I can't believe you fucking left me to deal with all this stuff (laughs) but um that's probably like the bare minimum but yeah music songs signs and the kids the kids is just always really happy like daddy daddy loved pizza daddy was so good on a motorbike but then we're like oh my goodness daddy used to drive me crazy and so are you today like so (laughs) when I'm trying to like say that you're annoying me it's still like a positive that everyone annoys everyone at some some point and daddy used to do it too and you're just like daddy (laughs) ash it's been a pleasure to speak with you i feel like we could just keep talking (laughs) and you will need to come back for another episode when we talk about routine and we'll just geek out geek out on structure (laughs) and we will have zero listeners but you and i will feel very content well we might keep listening to it ourselves so (laughs) all the downloads (laughs) so (laughs) self-congratulatory No, thank you so much, Kylie, for inviting me to come on. It's been, um, I've really been looking forward to this so much and I really hope that your amazing community that you have built really gets some value out of sharing and my message of normalising grief, trauma and loss transpires through today's episode and makes someone feel a little less alone. It definitely, definitely will. And I know that so many of our listeners will jump over and click subscribe on your podcast, Flawed and Fabulous. Where else can they find you? Yeah, I'm over on, well, Flawed and Fabulous is on Instagram. If you're mainly about the podcast, that's Flawed and Fabulous underscore podcast. But me personally, I am on Instagram at with love ash and ash has an E on the end of it. Brilliant. I'll put that in the show notes. And again, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story with us today. Thank you, Kylie. This is what I want. This is what I need. If you don't have to go, I can set you free. Are you going to make a move? Are you going to come and see? Whatever you want to do, you know what's cool with me. Whisper in the dark.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.